0: On October 8th, the Tubbs Fire swept through our city of Santa Rosa. The fire destroyed over 3,000 structures, including 40 homes belonging to members of our church family. In light of this tragedy, we are teaching through passages that exhort us through seasons of adversity. Now let's join Pastor Ross with another message from the series entitled, Through the Fires. All right, I welcome you back to your seats, all righty. As you're making your way, let me remind you, um, which I talked to a a person in the lobby about, the text selection for for going into the holidays. I, I spoke about it last week. Uh, Normally, we are verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and uh, we left off on the Sunday of the fires. It was Jesus speaking how to avoid the fires of hell on that Sunday morning, if you will recall. And Sunday evening, well, physical fires fell, right? Well... So it wasn't fitting to go back to business as usual when we met a couple weeks later in a borrowed facility, right? Or the very next week, I should say, to go back to the next passage, which happens to be on divorce, right? And so it just didn't fit the setting, right? And so now we're going into the holidays. And so what's been on my heart is encouraging passages that not only comfort, but they exhort And they're really um, challenging, right? And so just so you know, I'm an expositor. The way I teach, that's the only way I know how, is to put up a passage and exposit it. It means not talk about a topic, but just get the message from the text itself expositionally right so no worries that's what i'm doing but we're going to go into the holidays with just landing on sort of relevant passages for the church and then in january as i said before we can talk about divorce so <laughs> 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 sounds funny every time i say it uh, all right let's uh, pray together now father there is probably no better well-known passage uh, to talk about today as Paul's thorn in his flesh that he asked you to take away, but you gave him an answer that he didn't want to hear. You said that you and your grace was enough for him, that you were using his painful experience for good. So, Father, we want to have... uh, Paul's change of heart toward painful times, his conclusion, okay, though, therefore, I can take some delight in my troubles, knowing that Christ's power rests on me. So help us to have the same sort of epiphany this morning, God, because we've got troubles. We just need to think correctly and biblically about them. In Christ's name, amen. Well, along those same lines, I had a class in Bible college um, where we had to read a devotional book and it's called Heinz Feet on High Places. And by some of your reactions, uh, I know that you have heard of that book written by Hannah Hubbard. And it's an analogy of the Christian life. You know what I mean, that kind of genre, right? Like the Chronicles of Narnia where everything stands for something in the Christian life. So Aslan the lion is Jesus, and you don't have to guess who the white witch symbolizes, the, the evil one. And then, you know, Edmund, Susie, Lucy, and Linus, or whoever the other. <laughs> <laughs> the other character was. Uh, uh, they, they are us, and they're on a journey there to get to Narnia, right? And all of that. Well. Hind's Feet on High Places uh, takes its verse from Habakkuk, chapter 3 and verse 9, where it says, God is my strength, he gives me feet like hind's feet. Hind is like a a gazelle or or a deer, right? And so that's where the name comes from, hind's feet on high places. And it uh, tells a story of much afraid, who is a hind, who's a, let's call it a Antelope of some kind. Much afraid was born uh, with some disfigurements, club feet, and uh, much afraid of everything. Very timid. So it's the story that takes Much afraid from conversion all the way to Christian maturity, and then the whole story is analogous of the kinds of things that we, who are much afraid, and born with. Disabilities and brokenness within need to uh, ascend the mountain to be with the great shepherd in the story. That's where the deer is headed up to the top to be with her Lord. Now, oh, many dangerous toils and snares in that book. But thankfully, there are two friends sent by the shepherd to help much afraid uh, ascend those dangerous Uh, precipices you'd be surprised at their names because at the end of the book you're like where would this much afraid be without the help of those two friends the two friends names are sorrow and suffering sent by the shepherd to help much afraid by the end of the book you're glad for suffering You're glad for the sorrow that the shepherd used to help much afraid become bold and confident and assured of the great shepherd's love to be everything that much afraid was created to be. And all of it made possible thanks to sorrow and suffering. Well, of course... Uh, Throughout the New Testament and old, this is a theme of the scriptures that not everything painful is bad in the Christian life in God's hands, in your shepherd's hands. God uses troubles of all kinds. Therefore, James chapter one, he says, hey, you can kind of count it joy when you fall into all kinds of troubles, knowing that God's at work producing something in you that can only be produced by being in the pressure cooker. And that is when you will come to completion and be the person God has intended you to be. It's just a beautiful truth. And by the end of it, Paul is going to say, he's going to give you this truth. And he's going to say, man, if that's the way it is, I'm going to take a little delight. I'm going to change my attitude about all the things I usually whine about, complain, and just try to pray away, pray away, pray away. Some of that we need to pray away. But other things that hang out in our lives that God allows, he's saying, I'm working. I'm working in you. Something beautiful. Let me show you what I'm talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. So we're in the middle of uh, of a debate, almost, between Paul and the founding church there, his uh, congregation. And I'll explain that. So we we start in the middle of a dialogue. He says to them, okay, I got to go on boasting, so-called, although there's nothing to be gained. I don't want to be doing this, but I'll start listing these things, he says. I'll go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. So I know this man, he's talking about himself now. I know this man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, heaven itself. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows. And I know that this man, well, okay, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He, he heard inexpressible things that... Things that man is not permitted to talk about. I could boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Okay, here we go. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because it really happened and because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, and here it is, so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Now, do the thorn. To keep me from becoming conceited, because of these surpassingly great revelations, like seeing the Lord in heaven, there was given me by God a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan, to torment me. That word means to punch painfully. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect or complete in weakness. Therefore, based upon the truth and the revelation that God has shown my soul, I'm going to course correct. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly, the word means sweetly, about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I take delight in weaknesses and in insults, in hardships and persecutions. Whatever difficulties, all kinds of troubles, because when I'm troubled, when I'm in a tight spot, when I'm weak, when I'm down and out, when I'm hurting, that's when I'm strong because human weakness invites the power of God. Amen. Well, we're going to take a look at this beautiful passage First, let me give you some context for sure, because as I said, we're kind of eavesdropping in the middle of a conversation that picks up with his, he's giving his credentials. Here's what's happened. Sad to say that they're having quite a little debate, the the founding church and Paul, the apostle. Here's what happened. Paul founded the church. He started a little church and it began to flourish Well, God used him in other ways to be a missionary. And when he was away, other wannabe fakers, phony baloney television evangelist types (laughs) came in and wanted to steal the congregation away from Paul and toward them. So they started badmouthing Paul and exalting themselves. And what they used to do is say, does Paul have visions like us? Why is Paul always in trouble? Why is he always in jail? Why is he always sick? Why is he always in need? He's in need. He's in need because God's not blessing him, but he's blessing us because look what we have. We have a PhD and we've been to this uh, seminary in Alexandria. Has Paul been there? You know, and and, you know, angels talk to us. Who talks to him? Who knows? You can hardly understand him anyway, right? (laughs) That's what he's doing. So he says, listen, folks you want me to play that game? He says, I'll play the game, but it's stupid. It's foolishness. I'll sound like a madman. And it's definitely not me talking, but it will be helpful to you to show you that I am in no way outmatched by these so-called, in his words, super apostles. All right. So let's pick up Back in the chapter before, just for context, then we'll dive into the passage. Here's the conversation as it's been going. He's saying, I'll list my credentials, but with a twist, instead of pointing to the ta da and I've been to heaven, he's not even going to tell you about that one. He's trying to get to the thorn, the weakness, and that's the thing he wants to exalt in and glorify in and, and, and tell you it's the weaknesses, it's not all your credentials. So here, here's what he said to them. He's going, okay, what anybody else, these super apostles, dare to boast about? I'm speaking as a fool would talk. I also dare to boast about them. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Oh, by the way, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. And then there are some passages. He does this earlier. He says, but you made me do this. He says, you forced me to. I, I'm talking crazy, but it's, it's your fault. <laughs> he says, okay, I'm out of my mind to say this, but I'm going to say it. I'm more of a servant than those super apostles. I've worked much harder been in prison more frequently, been flogged, flogged. (laughs) How well once would be enough, more severely, been exposed to death again and again. I think one time to be exposed to death is a lot. Amen? Amen? Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Wow. You know, he walked bent over and crippled because of these kinds of things. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. It's a Roman punishment, a, a, a systematic beating. They, spru- they tie you up and stretch you out and take rods and pummel you up and down. It's an organized thing. Not once, not twice, three times. He says, you want to know my credentials? <laughs> They're kind of different than your guys. <laughs> he says, I've been uh, shipwrecked. I was stoned and left for dead. <laughs> I spent a night and the day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen. Uh, they were betraying him, in danger from non Jewish people, in danger, so from the Jews and from the, those who aren't Jews, in danger. <laughs> In the city, endangered country, endangered sea, endangered just about everywhere from false brothers. Oh, his friends who betrayed him. He goes on to say, I have labored and toiled and have gone with often without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, just to name three. Who is weak, and I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn? I've got problems like every man. I covet things I shouldn't have. I have a lust issue. He's saying, I am not somebody who walks on water, folks. I'm weak. I'm a regular guy. And I carry a lot on on my shoulders and look at the kind of life that I've lived. But if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast about the things that show my weakness. And now he's getting to the thorn, but he has to tell you why the thorn came. And why the thorn came is his greatest moment is going to be his greatest pain linked together. So there we begin with verses one through four. He says, "Okay, I'll go on boasting, but I got to get to the thorn, which is the star of the show, because it's about weakness. It's not about saying what the false apostles would love to do and we're doing. Oh, I've got this revelation. Oh, I've had an out of body experience and the spirit told me this and that. And he says, "Okay, you want to talk like that? I really did have that kind of experience. I can't even explain it, but I know it happened. And I'm going to tell you about it. I got caught up to paradise. So let's talk about that. So looking at verses one through four, sometimes note takers like to have little headings. There'll be three of them. Uh, This one will be Paul's treat. Paul's treat. Okay. So he's treated to something that just what, three people in the whole world ever got to see a vision of heaven now he's reluctantly laying all of these things out kind of cringing breaking a 14 year uh silence right because he got a glimpse of heaven but he was told not to tell about it so he kept that and he still doesn't he says i had this experience but i'm not going to tell you a word about it and he doesn't he tells us more about what he didn't know than what he knows and so um so he's saying not like not like the big shots. The big shots come around, and here's a quote from the Colossians. He says, "Watch out for those imposters. They're always going into great detail." I'm quoting chapter two, and verse eighteen. They're always going into great detail about what they've seen in their visions, and angel talked to them, and God spoke to them, and this and that. God showed me this. They're all puffed up with pride, and. Deceived by their own sinful minds and disconnected from Christ. So that's about them, all right? So he's gonna just say, notice, no details, (laughs) and uh, he's not gonna really tell us much about it except that he had it. Now, he cleverly resorts to using third person, as you see, about this vision. He's clearly embarrassed by it. He's saying, it's like a You know, I'm talking like a madman to say, I, Paul the Apostle, did ascend into the heavens. You you know, that's why he can't do it. He can't even get it out of his mouth. He's going to say, "Okay, I got to tell you something, but I'm going to do it cleverly. I'm gonna do it as a spectator might report it to you. It's a lot easier for his sake to be able to say, this is indeed what happened. So I'm gonna tell you why he would do this, why it bothers him so much. It bothers him so much. Well, verses um, six tell us, we can lash forward. He says, listen, it truly happened. And I suppose somebody can hear the story and say, wow. That's a cool, amazing thing, because he's saying it actually happened. I wouldn't be foolish because it's actually the truth. And that's a jab at the false prophets because they're lying, over exaggerating and and telling a whole bunch of nonsense. He's saying, in my case, mine actually happened. So it's just a fact. And then he says, but I refrain so that no one will think more. Highly of me than is warranted by what I say or do. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to be giving you moral exhortations. And you're going to dismiss them. Thinking, well, that's Paul. He walks on water. And Paul the apostle, he's ascended into heaven. And he says, no, 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 no. This isn't the story of a man who went up to heaven this is a story, my friends, of the man, the God-man who came down from heaven to give his life a ransom payment for sins. That's where he doesn't talk about it. Are you kidding me? It's the gospel. The star of the show is Jesus who came down, not Paul who went up. So he says, okay, you know, I got to let you know that I've got one of those experiences, too. He's had more than that. But he's going to tell him this one. But let me do it third person and tell you this really happened. John Piper had some excellent things to say about why Paul is so reticent about sharing. He said, "Uh, test yourself, Piper writes. When you read of Paul's lashings, beatings, imprisonments, shipwrecks, danger, hunger, exposure, mind-blowing revelations, he wrote 13 New Testament books, and the apostles knew they were writing scripture. They knew it. Peter said, uh, oh, people who don't understand Paul, they like to twist his words as they do the other scriptures. They knew they were writing scriptures. His stamina, his endurance, his great love for God, his devotion, his godly character. Are you tempted to, to think, what are you tempted to think? He says, if you're like me, you might think, wow, this guy had faith, brains, guts, Fervor for Christ, endurance, sterling character, overflowing love for God and people, and a work ethic second to none. I, therefore, am a sorry excuse for a Christian compared to him. And that's exactly the danger Paul sensed in exalting himself and getting in the way of God's grace. So he says, you know what? I don't want to tell you about all my mountaintop experiences, me, myself, and I. I want to tell you about how messed up and broken, how inwardly I have the same problem as every other man out there, that in those struggles, in my struggle with sin, in my struggle with being displaced and homeless and having not enough clothing, And being hungry, those are the things that Christ comes in and fills and meets me. And that glorifies Christ instead of glorifying me. And so therefore, I'm okay with being empty because guess what? It's an invitation for God to fill. And I'm okay with being sick because it's an invitation for God to heal. And I'm okay with not having all the answers because I know somebody who does and so we weren't around thinking that weakness is something terrible i used to go to a church where everybody had the victory you know sorry <laughs> <laughs> and you know what kind of church it is just by the tone of my voice And I love them. And I'm glad I was a part of that church, but I almost had a nervous breakdown. Why? Because everybody had the victory hourly and nobody ever talked like the Apostle Paul, saying my life's a wreck. I can't control my thoughts. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. The things that I end up doing, I shouldn't be doing. Who's going to save me from this wretched death? Nobody talks like that. Everybody has got it together. And I was there falling apart you know, like the rest of you. <laughs> and I still am. That's the funny thing. You know, every minister has to have some semblance of godliness, some maturity, right? But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I'm a guy who God said, I want you to talk. And I'm just, I'm jumping away. I had just stop me. <laughs> Uh, at the end of the day, I'm a guy with a gift to feed the flock. But in all other ways, I'm just as broken as anybody in this room. And that's what Paul's trying to say. Do not think more highly of me than is warranted. And that's why he doesn't talk about these kinds of situations. Let me tell you this. When I was in high school, I developed a f- all-caps phobia of speaking in front of more than two people. I got an F in speech, every speech class. I almost left high school over uh, speech things. I went to the high school guidance. That's how that happened. A high school guidance counselor. I don't know if you still have them, but we had them. Do you still have them? Yeah, okay. So I went to them, and and I'm like, where can I go to college that doesn't require speech? I promised before God, I sat with the manual and flipped through every last little place near me and went down one thing, speech, looking for speech. Oh, mandated, you have to have a prerequisite speech. Done, not going. All right. So then I become a Christian at 19. But I lived my entire life with that. Honestly, I would rather die than speak in front of people. I I promise you. And some of you are nodding your heads like, yeah, we get it. (laughs) So at 19, I became a Christian. I went to Bible college, and guess what was on the menu? Speech! (laughs) And preaching, right? And so I get into, uh, I had to take the class. And I'm like, oh, okay, God, you can get me through it, (laughs) right? I'm not kidding you. I was sick and in. Entire week. An entire week. I'll spare you the details of that. <laughs> Completely out of my mind, obsessing 24-7. I was having nightmares. You have no idea. This was serious. Because God wanted this to be serious. And so I stood up in speech class. It was a speech on the Holy Spirit. I just grabbed something to talk about. I'll talk about the Holy Spirit, right? So I prepared a little three-point thing on the Holy Spirit, and I stood up. My knees, I couldn't even get up there. This is a Bible college. And I stood up there, and I opened up the book, and I'm like looking at my notes, and I had that feeling like, well, I'm going to die. And then suddenly I started talking, and there was like, ah, like this, like I am today. Right. So I started to freak out because there was no fear. (laughs) So I started getting nervous that I wasn't nervous. (laughs) And this has been the case ever since. And and so when somebody says graciously, I really got a lot out of that. I will always know I am a horrible speaker in myself. I cannot do it. So God's big joke on Ross was, was, I am going to give you something that you will always know didn't originate with you, and you'll have to make your living that way. (laughs) (laughs) So listen, Paul's thing. You know what I'm going to boast in? Not that I'm a good speaker, but that I'm in and I have no ability to speak. God took my inability and said, watch what I can do with somebody who can't stand up in front of people. And he made it my career and I have to go all over the world doing it. It's beautiful and terrible. (laughs) Praise the Lord. I love you, too, by the way. I love you, too. So that's his point. So I think we can move on. So he says, if, yeah, where, where are we? Shouldn't we move further than that? Right. Oh, no, no, you're right. Okay, yeah, let me finish up. (laughs) That's good. I lost my way here. Okay, so to the vision, yeah, you know, we can talk about it. He doesn't tell us much, but we can try to talk about, you know. Uh, He had lots of visions to pull from, and he pulls from, you know, the cream of the crop, for sure. I mean, getting to see Jesus, being in heaven, and all of that. What happened? How did he get there? The best guess is, you know, in Acts chapter 14, he got stoned and left for dead. They tried to kill him. And a lot of commentators said that he actually died and had a near-death experience. Because the language in Acts 14, go home and read it, is, is that this guy is laying there like a corpse. And they gather around him and pray, and he stands up. So during that time, commentators say, and what, how does he describe it? Caught up. Same word. As rapture, the harpazo, the caught up of the church. The second coming of Christ, Christian, is not, for you, is not Christ returning at Armageddon, coming down, taking care of business. That's not your second coming. You are theologically wrong. Your second coming for the church begins by being caught up to meet the Lord in the air. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Same word here. So Paul is caught up. He, he, he feels everything. He sees everything. He senses everything. And he's at home there. He says, so, so it felt like I was there, but I'm not so sure because it was so surreal. And so that's what's going on there. Uh, interesting, he calls it paradise. That word, paradasos where we get the word paradise. In Persia, they try to outdo each other with gardens, the kings. So they put treasure upon treasure upon treasure about making these botanical and zoological, just uh, outlandish, beautiful attractions. In fact, the Hanging Garden. Gardens of Babylon is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world with natural flowing water courses. And, and they try to make pathways that would overwhelm your senses, your fragrances. Right. And so really, it has the idea of a garden tropical paradise, much like the Garden of Eden is described. And so, you know, words fall short because, listen, 1 uh, Corinthians chapter Two verse 9 says no eye has seen nor ear heard nor entered into the mind of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him so poor Paul poor John they're really at a loss to tell you about something that you have never seen heard or could imagine it's never entered into your mind And now you have to explain something to somebody that has never entered your mind. So he says, paradise, paradise, I'll give you the feel. And poor John later, you know, in Revelation, as I've often mentioned, you know, he's all about the shine. It's shiny. What's heaven like? It's shining, you know. Uh, it's shining like an emerald rainbow around the throne. Okay, what? Uh, what? What are some other sights? The shining walls with, you know, uh, jasper. And diamonds and emeralds and sapphires. This is what they talk about, a crystal sea. Who's ever heard of a crystal sea? I don't know what you mean by that. A tree of life with leaves that never wither and a fruit that heals the nations. What does that look like, right? So that's all they can say. We know they're stretching language as far as it goes, and that's probably why he uses the word right here. It means unutterable. So he says, I, there are no words, my friends, for things that have never entered your mind. But trust me, they're amazing and beautiful. We get a clue. It's going to take your breath away, even with your new body. It's going to take your breath away. And then I love what he says. So two words to describe this beautiful experience. We're like, what was paradise like? He says, unspeakable. And then he says, impermissible to tell you. That word is to say it's against God's law. It's against God's law for the Paul the Apostle to have a near-death experience, go to heaven, and tell you about it. Therefore, my friends, it would be against God's law for a six-year-old to go to heaven, come back, write a book about it, make some money, and some movies. All right? It just falls into... God has his appointed prophets to tell you all about what God would have you know through the scriptures called revelation. The word revelation means to uncover. So if God wants you to know about what heaven is like, he's going to do it through people like Ezekiel, Isaiah, John, the apostle. And you can help yourself. It's there for all eyes to see. Amen? Just read your Bible. It'll keep you safe. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, Moving on. Let's talk about the thorn. So he says, "Okay, that that's pretty cool thing, right? But in association and because I got to go to heaven and see things no one on the earth got to see. Only me. Because I got that kind of favor, I got that kind of problem. Because they go together. And anybody who's got any reason at all to get all excited about yourself, you're going to have one of these two. Because it's there to help you. Right? Whether it's money, whether it's looks, whether it's talent, whether it's sports ability, whether whatever it is that makes you think it's all about you. God says, oh, let me help you. I've got a friend. <laughs> I've got a friend called out in the Greek. The word thorn is, it sounds like a word we use, scallops. All right. And so it's S-K-O-P-O-L-O-S. Right. But it's easy to remember. Like sorrow and suffering, we're friends. He's got a friend and he says, this friend is going to keep you from destroying yourself. Because you got to do something nobody ever got to do and see things nobody ever seen. And he said, I heard things. What did he hear? He can't tell us. But because you got that, lest it go to your head and make you unusable for me. Ruin the 13 New Testament books that, you're, that I want to inspire you to write. I'm going to save you, Paul. I'm going to give you a friend. It's called a thorn in the flesh, or he likes to call it that way. So let's talk about that. So we talked about Paul's treat. Now we talk about Paul's thorn. All right, so he says the two things are connected. My greatest ecstatic moment and my greatest pain as a result of my mountaintop experience to keep me from what turned Lucifer, which means light bearer. Oh, he was a big shot in heaven. He was like a worship leader. He was beautiful. And it says he fell in love with his own beauty and became proud. And he went from Lucifer (laughs) to the devil. So Paul, Paul is saying what God has given me to prevent me from exalting myself Same word is used of the Antichrist. He is self-exalting one. He says, but God said, I'm going to send you a friend. And this friend will stop you from going the way of the devil, the Antichrist, and all those who get puffed up and who are unusable and a danger to themselves, their families, the Christian community. He says, but Paul... No danger for you because I've gifted you something. Now, truly, it is the gift that people do want to give that, you know, (laughs) pain and suffering. But I do want to say that in Lamentations, Jeremiah says something beautiful in chapter 3 about God giving the thorn. It says, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to any heart. God's not up there saying, hey, you got to do this, so maybe I'm sending the lightning bolt, you know, or you you know, lose your house now because you had it so good. He, he's way beyond that. He's a loving father who could say, you know, you're going to have some chemotherapy here. It's going to kill me to watch you. It's going to kill me to watch you lose your hair, suffer, spend a, a year or two throwing up, which was my case. But, Ross, unless you have the chemotherapy and the radiation that burns, caused a lot of problems to my chest 15 years ago. I'm all better now, by the way. Unless you have that, I I want you to know it'll produce the end result that you'll be really happy with about. So there are things in our human lives that we can understand are painful at the time, but we endure because we know there's a, a good thing coming childbirth. It seems really, really painful, doesn't it? (laughs) Did you say it is? (laughs) Jody, (laughs) nailed you right there. I said, it seems really, really painful. And I hear it is. (laughs) But you know, the second you hear the baby cry, right? or maybe 10 seconds after, <laughs> you, you forget about the pain because God births something wonderful and beautiful, and it's that sediment that he's kind of talking about here. And so, by the way, the, 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 the thorn, oh, don't picture a little thumbtack, friends. He uses a word that means tent stake. Yeah, so that was a gift. Now, talk about paradox. I want to know how can something be given by God and from the devil at the same time? Here's what God is doing. Oh, it must have burned the devil to hear, hey, I want one of your thugs, because that's what it comes down to. I want one of your thugs, your boys, you know. (laughs) I want you to go kind of throw some punches. That's what the word means. Torment there? It means to throw punches painfully. I want you to buffet, really, King James. I want you to buffet my apostle Paul. Use him for like sparring partner. All right? I'm gonna help him, by the way. But I I need a I need to teach him a few things. So would you mind? And then they're like, oh no. Because you're saving him. You're saving him from a disaster. You're helping him grow. You're 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 kind of maximizing God's ability to use an already gifted man and now you're helping the process along. Oh, that must have burned him. (laughs) You know, so even God's in control of that, right? So he says, I'm going to hook you up, Paul, with this sparring partner. It's going to be your thorn in the flesh and it's not something that he liked at all, for sure. So... What was it? Well, he leaves it vague. You know why? Because you're thinking, I wonder if it could have been what I'm dealing with. Bingo. That's why God leaves things vague like that. Because if he would have told you exactly what it is, then you would have said, well, mine is different. Well, now God's got you. (laughs) Because your thing, trust me, it is it. That's exactly what it is. That's how God designed it. You've got a thing unique for you and it's working uniquely for you. Let's talk about what it might have been. Luther and Calvin, big names, they said, we think it's a besetting sin because he talks about inwardly struggling with that burn, and he talks in Romans 7 of going back and forth like that. In other words, evil suggestions into his mind, fiery darts that just just destroy him and cause him constantly, when your mind is filled with blasphemous things like that, Suddenly, and they just come in. You have to constantly be, turn your face toward Christ. So, so maybe that's it. Something like that. Let me tell you about, uh, uh, and I'm under the heading of besetting sins. A besetting sin that doesn't go away. Besetting means you pray and pray and pray, and you still struggle with it. And in fact, my friends, you, you, you will struggle with that to your deathbed. That's the way it is. Struggle. I mean, you may grow, may kind of have seasons, but this is a... Listen, there's this gal. She gave her testimony. She's famous now. She's written books, and she speaks all over the world. Uh, her name is Rosaria Butterfield. I've talked about her before. In 1999, she describes herself. She says, I had a train wreck conversion to Christ. Uh, she describes herself as a leftist lesbian professor. Hated men, hated Christians, hated conservatism, hated everything that Christ and the Bible stand for. But she got saved. She became a Christian. And she realized, okay, I have this new life. I'm leaving that life. And and she says, I'm going to be honest with you. My thorn in the flesh is this. I have an old nature. And it presses against my neck like the edge of a knife. And I live with that thorn. And I'm thankful for it. Because it's always there. I always feel it. One wrong move. uh, She married a pastor. And they have a bunch of kids. And she speaks all over the world. And she knows. One wrong move. And I'll destroy everything Christ has done in my life. And she says, I bless God for my thorn because it keeps me on my knees. It keeps me in fellowship. It keeps me in the book. I was just talking to a guy, and I'll, I'll just say, I won't tell you the market. He's my name of the market friend. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, we were talking. He said, oh, the fires, the fires. I hate the fires because I fell off the wagon. I started drinking again. And he doesn't go to our church. He might be coming. He might be here today. Uh, And so he said, listen, I'm the kind of guy because of the thorn in my flesh that I have to keep seeking God. I can't live a halfway Christian life because of the thorn. So i Bless the thorn. I needed the thorn. The thorn is helping me as much as I hated and loathed it and wish it would go away. Now, how do you know what to pray when you have a painful problem? Because painful problems, you should pray and, and God will take them away. Some of them. Maybe most of them, right? How do you know the shift between this is a painful problem of which I should resist and say, Jesus, I'm trusting you. And this is something that still stands. There, and I need to now pray to how to endure it, embrace it, cooperate with it, so that it does the work God intended. God will tell you. A, easy, it's still there, (laughs) all right? It's still there after seasons. He didn't pray on an hour and ask him three times, three times, three times. He asked him in a course of months, maybe, maybe a couple of years, I don't know, But three full times of, is this thing going? Come on, God, what are you doing? And it remained, and then God spoke to his heart. See, spiritual discernment will tell you which problem needs to go and which problem you're going to have to wrestle with and let God do his work. He says, listen, Paul, A, I'm enough. My grace is enough. But look at the word order in the Greek because it gives it away. It's beautiful. Sufficient for you is the grace of me. You know, God doesn't just, you know, sprinkle grace dust over you and like, okay, see, you've got something, a thing, a tangible thing called grace. No, he says, it's me. My grace, my strength, my presence, my joy, my love, my being with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, you got this. So, A, you never have to worry about whatever it is, whether it's temporal or long-term kind of thorn, because whatever it is, isn't an eight like I did last week? I'll give you eight. Is it a 10? I'll provide 10. Whatever it is, I'm sufficient for whatever it is up to your deathbed. I'm good there, too. So you have nothing to worry about that wise. My grace is sufficient for you, for, and go back to the verse, thank you so much, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Thank you for the platform, Paul, because now I get to do my thing. So if you've got it all together, you've got a perfect little life, and you've always got the victory, and you've got the money in the bank, and you've got this, that, and the other thing, and you're always all together with the victory, How is God ever supposed to do anything in your life? Because you're all about, I got it together. It's the people who just have to admit, "Ah, even though outwardly I do have kind of a nice life, right? Inwardly and around me, I'm in big trouble. I need him just to draw my next breath. I need grace. So he's not asking for you to make stuff up or false humility, right oh i'm terrible. i've got this problem and that problem we don't need any more of that we have got enough of that going on <laughs> he's saying give me a platform your emptiness is my platform to fill as we've been seeing your sickness my opportunity to show what i can do let me show off a little bit give me some room that's what i'm doing Oh, you lost your home. Wait till you see what I can do. If you cooperate, what will rise from the ashes that will give God glory, which will be what you really wanted in the first place. You will look back and yes, heartache. Yes, nothing's... He doesn't say, hey, when it pinches, say hallelujah. He's not saying that. (laughs) He's saying you can cry about it, but just you'll be able to take some semblance of joy, have some peace to know I'm working. In it. Give me some room to kind of show off. I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Come on, let's talk about this. People, a guy got up at Hume. He's got cer- cer- cerebral palsy. It was uncomfortable watching him get up to the platform. You could hear a pin drop on hundreds of men. He got up, made his way as awkwardly as you can imagine, and his speech was so difficult to understand. He's totally there, his body's not cooperating. He's 100% like everybody in this room, except the body won't work. He grabs a hold of the pulpit like this, and he starts to talk to us, to minister, because he's a minister. It was the most powerful thing I've ever heard. And grown men weeping. Ladies, can you imagine what you'd be like? <laughs> Why? Because in his weakness, God said, watch this. And so Johnny Erickson taught her. She jumps into a, a shallow area and breaks her neck and becomes a quad. And she said, Jesus, what is it? What can you do with a quad? And he says, oh, watch what I can do with someone who can't use their hands or their feet or their legs. Watch what I can do. I'm going to change the world through you. There are wheelchairs for millions of people. She paints with her teeth the most beautiful thing. She sings hymns. That people buy, and she preaches. She just preached in the Ark Ladies, Pastors, Wives Convention. Here's a woman who could have just said, where well, was God when I was diving? How could God let somebody break their neck and become a quadriplegic? And God says, my power. You turn that over to me? Your weakness? Oh, <laughs> I'm going to make a perfect, complete, appropriate fitting, beautiful thing out of you. More than had she never broken her neck, you wouldn't know who she was. And when she dies or Christ comes, she's going out of that chair and to a reward that's going to put all of us. <laughs> Probably, right? I'm speaking on your account. I know she's going to put mine. My- <laughs> oh, you thought I meant that? <laughs> <Yeah>, no. <laughs> Let me tell you about me for a second. I learned a lesson a long time ago about what I'm really like. I was sharing the gospel. I was 22 years old to a bunch of actors. I was serving at a dinner theater. And I was a waiter slash actor. <laughs> All right, I didn't want to admit it. And so uh, I was sharing the gospel. And oh, the words coming out of my mouth. woo, They were. Wow! I'm like, wow. And they're all like, wow, I never thought about that. Maybe I should think about this again. And I'm like, yeah, maybe you should, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And I'm all puffed up and everything. And I turned to walk away, and I walked. They darken everything, right, in the theater. So they darkened the wall, right? And it was dim in there. (laughs) And I walked right into the wall and knocked myself out. (laughs) As I I walked away from feeling, look at me, I know so much in the Bible, and who can cheer the gospel like that, right? And so I take five steps, and I'm on my back, (laughs) seeing stars. I remember seeing stars and thinking, well, you really do see stars. (laughs) And as I got up, the sweet spirit that speaks to all of our hearts said, listen, you. You can't even walk. <laughs> you get this idea out of your head and remember what you are without my grace. Yeah. Well, suddenly we forget that and then God is so faithful to remind us, amen, <laughs> when well, we need it. He says, I'm enough. Let's finish up Paul's takeaway. Therefore, oh, my friends, please have a therefore. Oh, I, I, I beg you, have a Therefore. Because he says, okay, I got some truth. That's not exactly what I was looking for or wanting to hear. But since this is the truth, I'm going to course correct and change. So I'll boast all the more. You want to brag? I'm going to sweetly accept my weaknesses. And then that Christ power can do his thing with me. That is why for Christ's sake and Christ's sake alone, this doesn't work for anybody else. You do it for Jesus or nobody. I can delight in weakness. So now he's just broadening the scope in case you think it's just for your thorn, you know? All kinds of thorns, weaknesses, insults. And, in other words, hardships, persecutions, and all kinds of trouble because it's when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Just, just this, a wonderful thing. Is it Depression. Is it mental illness? Christians have those kinds of struggles. Is it a bad marriage that you're just saying, I am going to do this? It's not like anybody's uh, um, being harmed or threatened of harm. That's another thing or those kinds of things. It's just a bad marriage. It's a hard marriage, but you're enduring it for Christ because Christ is pouring out on you and helping you and blessing your family. All kinds of difficulties. Just saying, stop thinking about it as this is terrible. This is awful. I want to get rid of this. I need to work around it. I got to resist it. If this is a thorn that God's using, come on. Just say, God, do your thing. I'm yours. I trust you. And now you could delight in it. You could say, I just had something happen to me. And I'm studying this. That was just a bummer. And, and I, I course-corrected everything. I went, oh, but this is a bummer that you can use. And it changed everything. I stopped dreading it and bothered by it. I was kind of excited, like, whoa, I guess God's really going to do something neat here. That's the way to live. That's the way to live. Don't live the way the world lives, okay? Let's pray together. Father God, it's easy to talk about, really hard to live. We just have to know that you're with us and you're working all things together. We could trust you with the pleasurable parts of our lives and the painful parts too. It's all right, God. It's it's win-win for us because your love never gives up and you never let us down and you are enough. In Christ's name. Amen. So if ever there was a verse that kind of lent itself for communion Sunday, man, it's that one. Why? Because the dance of man's weakness and God's power is never more beautifully illustrated than the cross. The weakness. God himself in a human body, first of all, limited. Behind those big brown eyes of Jesus is who Colossians says spoke and the worlds leapt into existence, that everything that exists exists by him, and by Christ's power, everything that you see is held together. And that being became a limited baby. Is that not weak? And not just any family, a weak family, not just any town, a weak town. Nazareth? <laughs> Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Even the town he was born, he picked it. Because he says, let me show you what can come out of a weak town and a weak family that has no money. They were poor. Let me show you what one weak man stripped and beaten in a weak, persecuted, difficult, thorn-like, thorn-like way. You want to talk about thorns in the flesh? He takes it on in weakness, and he says God's power now to forgive the whole planet of sins and disarm the evil one who uses our guilt as a power tactic. He destroys the devil, defeats death, and destroys the grave and reconciles whosoever will back to God so they can live forever. Through what? Through weakness, through something. Jesus said, if there's any way, take it away. Take this thorn away three times. One time, two times, three times he asked. And just like Paul, after three times, God said, God the Father to God the Son, We've got to walk through this one, son. Because painful and shameful as it is, there's something really good coming. And through this weakness, God will be strong. So we look to him. And we run to the cross. And you let him comfort your heart. You have lost. He's lost too. He knows. And up from the lost comes Resurrection. I need you to remember this because don't walk out of here thinking thorn, thorn, thorn. You think delight, resurrection, what's coming, the work God's doing. Let that lift you, all right? So here's what's going to happen. We'll get served the cup and the bread. The cup and the bread this time are together. It looks like you're just getting the cup, but open them up. There's two, all right? And so you're going to be served. If you're born again Christian, it doesn't matter what church or who you are or just that you've repented of your sins, you know the Lord, you're welcome to partake with us. Uh, If you're not a Christian yet and you still want to partake, just simply get right with God. That's in the privacy of your own heart. Dear Lord, I'm I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Wash me clean. I receive you. Done. And you can take communion. If you don't do that and you're a seeker, don't. It just, It's not right. It just, it doesn't mean anything to you. So get right with God and join us for sure. And if you're uncomfortable for any reason, simply decline being served. That's cool as well. So the ushers are going to serve you. We'll worship. I'll come back and we'll conclude uh, the message. Amen? All right, let's do this. One of my favorite sermon illustrations comes to mind. Let me refresh your memories if you've heard it before. Um, We lived across the street from Ocean Beach in San Francisco for a few years, back when the kids were little, and across the street from the zoo. We found some cliffs up right around the corner called uh, Fort Funston, and they do hang gliding off of there. And so we'd we'd bring Rosie the dog and toss the ball and watch them drag there. And I have a picture. I googled Fort Funston. And it's the exact place this happened. Uh, we were standing right there one time, and I started talking to one of the guys who was actually going to step off a perfectly nice hill. <laughs> and it is a steep precipice. It's scary if you go past those cones, right? Uh, which I never did. <laughs> and so they dragged them one by one in line. And so I started chatting with this guy. I, said, I can't believe you do this. How long have you done that? You just step off. Like, what if the, a bad wind or, you know, I'm like, all oh, nervous. And I said, yeah. and he had sweat. And, he, and it looked heavy. And the cross beam was on him like this, and he's dragging it. And you know what I said. I said, well, that reminds me so much of, of Jesus carrying the cross. I mean, you just look like you're carrying a cross. And he says, it is heavy. It does feel like I'm carrying something like a cross and then he says, but you know what? He says, at first you feel like I'm carrying it, and then you realize, oh, no, 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 it's carrying me. Oh, and I file that away. Oh, sermon illustration. <laughs> and I've used it for years because, man, uh, well, yeah, he dragged it all the way to the end, and then he steps off and he does this, you know? That's the same parking lot, that's the same place. It's not the same guy, <laughs> obviously. And so, come on, the house, the trouble, uh, the legion of layers of all, and I'm not talking about fires now. I'm talking about the fire in your own personal life. If you handle this right under God's grace, he's saying, give me my platform, people. Let me come in and let me do this to you, for you, through you, in you. Let's do this, people. Oh, you like this view a lot better. It's a lot more fun, too. Resurrection, soaring. But you know what? You've got to learn how to rest. You've got to learn how to stop fighting it. You've got to learn how to sweeten your attitude and bow the knee and yield your will. Then, God's saying, that, like I like to say, now we're cooking with gas. All right. All right. So uh, thank you for that. We can go back to the cross. On the night uh, Jesus was betrayed, he he took the bread and he broke the bread. And he said, I want you to think about this, this, this body that is going to be broken, mine, so that yours will never be broken. Take it and eat and remember me. Then after supper, he took the cup And he said, I want you to think of this cup as my own blood poured out for a new covenant. A new covenant means the New Testament, Testament arrangement, contract, Old Testament, the law, do this or die. New arrangement, trust Christ and live. Oh, that's a lot sweeter. Amen. Let's drink together. Praise our Lord.